Hey there, boy, I got a joke for all your radio people. For all the, oh, you mean for all the podcast listeners? Yeah, well, whatever you call them, I'm gonna tell them a joke. Uh, is, is it a clean joke? Of course it's a clean joke. Who do you think you're talking to? Sorry, just wanted to make sure. Uh, is it relevant to the topic that we're talking about today? Uh, it's funny. <laughs> Alright, go ahead. So there's this woman who's middle-aged. Her name was Sylvia. She has a heart attack, and when she's in the hospital, she has a near-death experience on the operating table. She finds herself standing before the Lord. Okay, I'm not sure that's exactly how it works. I'm telling this. Listen. Okay. She says, Lord, is this the end? Is this all I have? He says, nah, Sylvia, you've got 30 more years to live. Well... When she woke up, she was so excited that she had all those extra years. She stayed in the hospital a few extra days and had a liposuction, a breast augmentation, a tummy tuck, and a facelift. She even had somebody to come in and recolor her hair. Recolored her hair, huh? Yeah. I didn't even know they did that in hospitals. Yeah, well, they do. Anyway, well, when they finally did let her out of the hospital, on the way home, she got run over by an ambulance. An ambulance? Yeah, an ambulance. Once again, she found herself standing before the Lord and said, God, I thought you said I had another 30 years. He looked down at her and said, well, I didn't recognize you. (laughs) Well, that was fairly awful, but oddly enough, it does actually go along with today's lesson. Well, you're welcome. Okay. Hi, I'm Randall Sims, and this is my podcast. Jesus, the Christ, at the cross of Calvary, purchased eternal life for you and for me. Life more abundant. That life has already begun, so why wait until the afterlife to live that life to the fullest? Welcome to the most impatient Christian podcast in the entire world. This is Christ Life Now. share with you a snapshot of the biblical church and discuss how it looks compared to the church of today. I say a snapshot because we don't have time during one message, during one podcast, to paint an intricate, detailed, master-crafted portrait and explore the complete and fully in-depth church of the New Testament. But we can, through carefully selected scripture, get a pretty accurate, if not completely comprehensive, idea of what the church of the New Testament looked like. You may recall a while back the nation's news programs were dominated by the story concerning a young woman from California who worked as a congressional aide and who mysteriously disappeared. Well, like in so many cases, over and over again, her physical description was published. Her height, hair color, eye color, and distinguishing characteristics. By virtue of that detailed description, there was hope if someone should see her, she could be identified and then brought home to her worried family. Sometimes this is successful, and unfortunately, sometimes it's not. But here's my point. Every day in our lives, we encounter occasions in which we have to identify certain objects. If we go to the supermarket to shop and we return to the parking lot, we have to identify the particular vehicle that belongs to us. If a mother's child becomes separated from her in a large crowd, she can provide an identifying description to those who may be able to locate the child. Perhaps the most important application of that principle is it is essential that we be able to identify the church of the New Testament, the one that God planned and the one that Jesus purchased by the shedding of his blood. 
it is important that as believers we're able to identify that spiritual body. Can it be found in today's world? Well, tragically, many sincere religious people operate on the premise that it really doesn't make any difference what church one belongs to, so long as it's under the general umbrella of Christendom. But is that a valid premise upon which to operate? If the church is something that's important in the mind of God, and it is, the Bible indicates it was a part of the divine plan from eternity, and because Christ shed his blood to buy it, then surely it's important enough to need appropriate identification. Wouldn't you agree? A mature Christian doesn't just flip through the yellow pages of the telephone book or turn to Google search to find the nearest congregation to belong to. Instead, the conscientious person wants to know intellectually and biblically, what is the church of the Bible? Where is it? Am I a member of it or am I not? Let me give you another illustration, which I think will help to put this matter into focus. Suppose someone is asked to identify a mammal. What is a mammal? Well, you might consult several dictionaries. You might look at a more general dictionary, or you might want to reference a science dictionary. The definitions will be the same generally, with maybe a greater degree of detail in the scientific work. Here is an abbreviated definition of a mammal. A mammal is a creature characterized by certain traits. It has hair on its body, it is warm-blooded, and mammals nurse their young. The English word mammal derives from a Latin word mamma, which is the term for breast, having to do with the suckling of the offspring. A dog is a mammal. A dog has hair, is warm-blooded, and suckles its young. A cat is a mammal. Human beings are mammals, according to this definition. A whale is a mammal, having all three of these characteristics. But a bird is not a mammal. Though a bird is warm-blooded, it does not have hair, and it does not nurse its young. A caterpillar is not a mammal. A caterpillar has hair, but it does not nurse its young. A mammal has all of the previously mentioned traits. Here is the point of the analogy. There are many churches in our community which have some of the traits of the New Testament church. But just as a mammal is not a mammal unless it has all the qualities that are mammalian, in the same way, a church is not the church of the Bible unless it consists of believers who exercise all the characteristics that the church of the Bible did. So, as we analyze this snapshot of the early church, I believe the Lord would like for each of us to ask ourselves, am I a member of Christ's church, or am I simply a member of a church? First of all, I would raise this issue. When was the Church of Christ established? It was established 50 days after the death of Jesus. The record of this is found in the second chapter of the book of Acts. The time is specifically identified as the day of Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit was poured out supernaturally upon the apostles, and for the very first time in all of history, they began to proclaim the basic facts of the gospel message. Namely, that number one, Jesus had been crucified for the sins of humanity. Number two, he had been put in a tomb. And number three, on the third day, he arose from that tomb. And then, 40 days later, he ascended back into heaven to be at the right hand of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues, like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages, as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. 
There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because they heard each one of them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed. They thought, in fact, that these people must be drunk. Thankfully, Peter stood up and began to preach. He raised his voice and proclaimed to the crowd, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this day to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was predicted through the prophet Joel. Peter was saying, here's what's really going on. God has resurrected Jesus and we are all witnesses. So, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promise, Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear right now. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Peter said to them, here's what you do, repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah, and be baptized, each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for all your children and for all who are far away, including the Gentiles. All who the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this crooked and unjust generation. In Acts 2 and 41 it says, So then, those who accepted his message were baptized, and on that day about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. Now that was awesome, but you know the sad part about that is the apostles didn't have any other churches to call and say, hey, guess what happened at our church today? 3,000 people were added, brother. How was your service? See, because they were the, the only church. At Anyway, moving on. Now, we certainly believe in accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we believe in the repentance or turning away from our sins. And we certainly believe in being baptized in water and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can put check marks in all of those categories that Peter was teaching the biblical church to do. Those are certainly the key elements. Certainly those are the initial things that make us the church. Practically any group of people who call themselves a church can agree on those things with rare exception, even though the details and the accuracy of those beliefs can vary from congregation to congregation. After all, we're all human, right? But then Peter went on in the following scripture to give us kind of a Polaroid, or maybe a modern way of saying that would be a quick Snapchat photo of what happens next. A snapshot of what that group of over 3,000 new converts looked like on a regular basis. He says in verse 42, They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. Underline those words if you're taking notes. Continually and faithfully. Not a lot towards the beginning and then not so much as the newness wore off later on. No, it says continually. And not kind of a half-hearted and when it was very convenient and they were having a good day and didn't have anything better to do like a ball game or something on television. No, 
it says faithfully, continually and faithfully. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves with passion to those things. First of all, he mentioned the instruction of the apostles. The apostles were teaching or preaching constantly. They were, in fact, so busy seeing to the spiritual needs of the church at one point that they had to anoint additional people to see to the everyday needs of the church so that they could continue to be devoted to ministry. So this was a full-time job for them, and they took it very seriously. In fact, the scripture admonishes in James 3.1 that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Did you know that? Are you a preacher, a Bible study leader, Sunday school teacher, youth pastor? Guess what? You will be judged with greater strictness than those who aren't. So you better get it right. Better study to show yourself approved with no need to be ashamed. So teaching the word and teaching it right is extremely important. But of course, hearing the word is also essential. Romans 10:17 says, because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, that was then. How about now? Are we as dedicated to the teaching and preaching of the word, the truth, as they were? Are we actually eager to study and to receive the taught word? Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that we aren't. I'm just asking a question. We've got to decide both individually and as a group, as the church, as the kingdom of God. We've got to decide, are we the church that Jesus established? Or... Are we just a church? Are we a continuation? Or are we just a faded Xerox copy of an old photo? Second, it says they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves passionately to prayers. Ephesians 6.18 elaborates and says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So does our church today pray? Well, we have a time of prayer. We pray for people. We have altar calls. We go to the hospital and visit sick people. We make prayer a part of our time together. If we had a time, though, a day, a service, set aside only for prayer, no preaching, no fellowship, no fun, games, no singing, would anyone actually show up? Again, I'm not making a statement. I'm just asking us a question and asking for us to compare how we the church look today compared to how the church looked in the book of Acts. Additionally, they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves, it says, to fellowship and to eating meals together. Now, these are actually two different things. Not all fellowship involves eating and not all eating involves fellowship. So they're different, but they are so closely connected that I'm going to lump them together and talk about them simultaneously. The church of the Bible broke bread together. In other words, they ate together. Not just every fifth Sunday and not just during communion or the Lord's Supper. They ate together a lot. In fact, 
the scripture makes it sound like they ate together practically every day. And it wasn't a chore or a burden or a major undertaking. People weren't stressing, oh no, we're eating tonight at church. Let's not go. Well, we need to go. Oh, that means we've got to cook something. Let's stop by KFC on the way. I am not in the mood to cook. No, they did all this fellowship and breaking bread together with pleasure, passionately, and as one big family. Now, just about any church leadership team knows that if you want to boost attendance, you should do what? Serve food, right? And sometimes we get critical of that. Well, I should have known Sister Bertha would be here today. She always shows up when we have a meal after service. Or, well, my goodness, it's so good to have you and your wife and your six children with us today. There's plenty of food for everyone. What covered dish did you bring? You didn't bring one? Oh, well, that's fine. There's, I'm sure, there, I, I'm pretty sure there's enough. Just help yourselves. Make yourself at home. Well, we can easily get into a critical mindset when any kind of labor has gone into what we're doing. After all, our labor is a vested interest in that project, and we want everyone to appreciate it and take it as seriously as God put it in our hearts to take it, right? But let's stop for a minute and realize that dining together is scriptural. Hey, you want to look like the church that Jesus established? All right. Put some stew in the pot or put a lamb on the rotisserie and fill God's house with the aroma of freshly baked bread. Or just order some pizza from Papa John the Baptist. Get it? Papa John the Baptist pizza? Because, <laughs> okay. Anyway, and whether serving food or not, by all means, don't be critical of fellowship. After all, sometimes the most important part of the service is what happens before the service begins and after the service ends. What? That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound spiritual. That seems like the flesh speaking. Well, remember, we are all in the flesh. God put us in the flesh. Thank God that Jesus didn't just set up the church to cater to the spirit alone. Why? Because none of us would be able to be a part of that church because we all have well, flesh. I mean, some of us more than others, right? This is arguably what the purpose of the church, a group of believers who meet together, is chiefly about. Praise God for giving us this incredible institution of and for fellowship. Think about it. We even have a hall named after it. The Fellowship Hall. Now, doesn't that sound majestic? That might sound maybe a little creepy to someone who's never been to church before, huh? Come, brother, let us dine in the hall of fellowship. <laughs> so yeah, we do this. Maybe we could even learn to do the fellowship and, and eating together thing with a renewed sense of love and purpose. After all, we realize now, if we didn't already, that it's very, very scriptural. So let's see how we compare to the early church in this area. Picking up where we left off, Acts 2 and 43 continues. As they did these things, a sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs or attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. Hmm. 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing their proceeds with all the other believers. As Am I reading that right? Let me try that again. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Yet again, I'll insert, hmm. Day after day, they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together, but not just eating their meals together. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And guess what happened? The scripture says, now are you listening? All right, here we go. The scripture says, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, does that seem a little bit different from today? The Lord adding daily to those who were being saved. It seems sometimes in our world, it's like the pastor says, Hey, Sister Margie, church secretary, yeah, can you get together for us for the year-end report all the names of the people who were saved at our church this year? She pulls out an index card and says, Yes, sir, pastor, I have both of them right here. But how about 3,000 being added in one day, and then the Lord kept adding daily? It's quite a comparison to make, isn't it? All right. Let's imagine for just a moment that a photographer from back in the day took a photograph of the church 2,000 years ago. I know there were no photographers back then. I said, let's imagine. And then he leaves the earth for about 2,000 years, but he remains alive during that time. Then he returns in the near future, which could be tomorrow or even could be today, and he sees us calling ourselves the church. Would he realize that we are that same church that he remembers from that photograph that he took? Or would he say, is that you? You look different in your picture. Now, if this is coming across as negative, that is not my intention. It's really not. In fact, let me state again, I am not suggesting that we would not be recognizable today as the church that was established in Acts. This is not a message that says, we're sick let's get treated. Not at all. This is a message that says, hopefully we, the church, are alive and well. So let's have regular checkups to make sure that we stay that way. Fair enough? Hey, if something doesn't look quite like it did, let's work on that. If other things look exactly like they did, exactly like they should, then let's continue doing the right things and make sure that they stay that way. Because let me tell you something. That photographer, he's coming back. And based on some of his publications, I've got a feeling he'll be returning sooner rather than later. So let's be recognizable. Let's be ready. Let's be certain that we, the people, the children, the kingdom of God, the church, are taking instruction from the apostles or from our leadership. And let's be certain that We are devoted to prayer, effectual, fervent prayer of righteous men and women. Let's be certain that we're not afraid of and we don't look down on and we actually embrace fellowship. And hey, let's have some people from the church over for dinner. Let's eat our meals together. The fellowship hall is not the only place that you can do that. There are restaurants in a town near or not so near you, depending on where you live. My point is, you can get there continually 
and faithfully focusing on these things. We want to be recognizable. We want to look exactly like the picture. Hey, I want you to know, and this is for everyone who's listening, I love you even more. The creator of the universe loves you. And church, if God has a refrigerator, your picture is probably on it. If you've not yet become a member of the church, you can do that right now by coming into relationship with Jesus as your savior. That's all it takes. Just pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry for all the sins that I've committed, all the wrong that I've done, and I turn away from those things. I repent of them. From this point forward, I will follow your ways, your teachings. I will follow you. I confess that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he came back to life three days later, and that he is the Lord of my life. In his name, in Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, I believe you became born again. Send me a message. Drop me an email. I want to help you get started with some of the first steps in this new journey that you're on. Thank you so much for listening to this message today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope that it's given you some motivation. Hey, go ahead and share it with a friend. For that matter, share it with an enemy. Just get the word out there. We want to reach as many people as possible. Also, thank you for your financial support. If you are not already a financial supporter, please prayerfully consider becoming one. Our Cash App, PayPal, and mailing address are located in the description below. Until next time, have an awesome day and live your Christ life now. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.